I would encourage employees to go on their own route of self-discovery of because it's not ADHD doesn't look the same for everyone or any any neurodivergent um, diagnosis does not look the same for everyone. So whatever that is, uh, find experts that are familiar with your uh, diagnosis and get really curious, get really curious about seeking help, asking questions. You don't have to do it alone. Uh, talk to a therapist, talk to your primary care, um, find out exactly how it manifests for you. That way you can be more clear about what it is that you need from your employer. Welcome to Problem Performers, a podcast about professionals who challenge the status quo at work. I'm Rebecca Weaver, and yes, I too have been labeled a problem performer at least once or twice in my career. But looking back, I know where it is a badge of honor. In fact, all the most interesting people I know have earned this label at some point. In reality, these are the people who challenge their workplaces to be better and do better. I think we should all aspire to be problem performers in our work lives, because the only way to make real change is by shaking things up. So let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am so excited to bring you this episode today. I am talking to someone who I know is an absolute badass professional and human, and I absolutely adore her and you will too. Um, By the end of this episode, I am quite sure. Um, But I have Nicolette Hawking here. And Nicolette, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, only for you, Rebecca. Only for you. <laughs> Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't we get started? Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and maybe we'll get into how we know each other a little bit later. Like, <laughs> uh, sure. So like you said, I'm Nicolette Hawking. I currently am, I like to talk about me as a human first. So I'm a mother. I have two kiddos. Mason is turning five in four wake-ups, he likes to say, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, Esther's almost two. I'm also a dog mom, a wife, a sister, a daughter, a friend. And in terms of the HR profession, I currently am the global head of HR for a design firm. So the design firm does industrial design, product design, digital design, uh, circular design, sustainability design, you name it. That is awesome. And we came to know each other because we worked together many moons ago. Um, But um, one of the other um, ways to describe you is co-founder of HR Uprise, which <laughs> that's right. Very few people. I mean, the people who have followed us from the very beginning know this well. Um, but I thought it would be fun to just start with kind of a look back and like remember the very beginning of HR Uprise <laughs> and how it all came about. So we were working together in HR um, for uh um, advertising and consulting firm. And tell me, what do you remember about like the very beginnings of this? Okay. So I was actually thinking a lot about this uh, last night. And here's what I remember. The word that comes to mind is serendipitous, right? Everything about it just felt like it was completely meant to be. So we were together and we were completely aligned on what needed to be changed in HR. 
Um, in this particular moment in time, we worked in advertising. We worked for an advertising firm. The Me Too movement was taking off uh, globally, but more specifically, it was getting a lot of steam here in the U.S. And at that same exact time, we had two internal sexual harassment cases that were happening. Um, and luckily, we were in a place where we were supported in doing what was right, but it got us talking about all those times where we had to be complicit and where we weren't able to do the right thing. And uh, oddly enough, um, we had started to talk about, oh gosh, how do we, how do we change this? It can't just be us. It's got to be other HR that's feeling this way. You know, thankfully we're in this position, but think about all those other HR um practitioners that don't have this ability. Think about all those other um, firms that are just at the mercy of their employer. And how can we change the system? So you and I started to get really passionate and get other people involved. And, and I'll never forget this. Um, so we had come up uh, with this concept, HR Uprise. And I remember you liking it and me being like, nah, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had all these other terms. Yeah. And I was like, oh, HR Uprise. I don't know. I don't like yeah, it. Uprise is it. like a revolution. And and now I'm all butted. But um, <laughs> so we had come up with this logo and uh, I was going to New York to go to the 4A's conference, which is a very large advertising conference where basically the who's who in advertising would be there. And rush, rush. The next day I'm flying out to New York after we had just kind of settled on a name and decided we want to do something. And I think at that point we had had the Instagram account, right? We were like, okay, we're just going to have this Instagram account. We're going to start there. We're going to start... Yeah saying how we feel about um, how HR is part of the problem. I think we put a few Instagram posts up and got just just a massive amount of uh, positive feedback. So I fly to New York and uh, (laughs) we had made like the day before, the night before, these little cards about HR Uprise uh, with our Instagram handle. And in this conference, I remember going to the bathroom, like putting them in the stalls and like putting them in people's (laughs) seats when they're not looking. And during the conference, uh, Keisha, Keisha Jean-Baptiste, who you know, mm-hmm. um, who worked for Four A's, but now works for HBO. Uh, during one of, she was, she was emceeing and, and during one of the, after the break, she comes on stage and she goes, uh, this next speaker is going to talk about Me Too and the movement and how HR impacts it. And she's like, I got to tell you, other people are thinking about it. I just saw this HR uprise card in the bathroom and I think it's bigger than what we know. And I was like, yes, you made it. <laughs> 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 totally. So those are kind of the early days um, of what I remember about HR Uprise. Yeah. Well, so while you were at that conference too, um, this is how little I expected it to explode the way that it did. Um, I, I was on vacation with my family at Disneyland. <laughs> and so, so we decided like, oh yeah, it seems like, you know, you going to the conference would be a great place to... Um, launch this thing because why not we just need to start getting this out there and I remember going to Kinko's like driving to Kinko's for those cards that you passed out getting those things printed um so that you could have them for your trip and yeah so we left and I remember walking around Disneyland just absolutely glued to my phone um much to my family's dismay they were not happy about it at all <laughs> they're like could you please join us here on this vacation um but just watching this thing it was like 100 new followers another 100 new followers and like 
what? You know, people started um, responding. They started sharing our messages. You know, people are sending DMs. Like it just, it was so far beyond. I remember like texting you. And like, I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I obviously need to spend some time with my family here too. So like, but the kids were young enough, they would nap. Um, They were still napping. So we'd go back to the hotel for the kids to take a nap. I would get like right back on and like start create a new post or create a new story or whatever. And like we were sharing it back and forth. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it was such a wild, wild response so far beyond what I ever thought. But I think, you know, like getting that kickoff um, that you did. And um, I remember really well too, you reached out to this account that had gotten a lot of attention, um, Diet Madison Avenue, um, and they were wildly, wildly um, influential. Everybody in the advertising was talking about it at the time. Um, so do you remember Diet Madison Avenue? Yeah. So, let's, I mean, what do, you, what do you remember about them at the time? Diet Madison Avenue at the time, and um, to provide a little context, you know, this, this movement was kind of taking off, um, like, playing out in the Hollywood uh, spotlight, yeah. right? It was like yep. known figures, but Time's underneath. Up. Yeah, that exactly. Time was being formed then. And yeah, that's right. Uh, but advertising agencies were actually the second largest offender of sexual harassment. And, you know, we were in the middle of that storm. And so Diet Madison Avenue was this anonymous account and they went through great lengths to keep their anonymity. And what they would do on their account is they would actually call out um, offenders who were known within the advertising agency, whether it be um, executives, whether it be leaders, and they would publicly put out there um, what actions these particular males had done in terms of sexual harassment. And um, so we got a hold of them, right? And they started partnering with us and they went down a different path. But it was it was. It was a game changer at that time in terms of holding these people who had been allowed to get away with this behavior for so long accountable. And I remember Diet Madison Avenue, when they reached back out to us and they wanted to partner, they were like, I don't understand your HR and you want to partner. Uh, I thought HR was the one that helps cover this up. And we're like, no, we don't want to. Like that is a misconception. And so that I think for you and I really opened up the fact that we are not alone in this. We don't have to be complicit. It can be different. And that was a catalyst to know, okay, how do we do it different? And we do have, um, you know, we have a platform to do it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Diet Madison Avenue. um, I mean, with the way that they were naming names, um, you know, being so direct um, and, you know, they're, their process was kind of scorched earth, um, you know. <laughs> um, however, um, you know, I look at that and what I think about is, unfortunately, what what ended up happening was that some of the men, well, that's not necessarily the unfortunate part. Um, so what happened was some of the men were fired. Um, and it's, you know, widely believed that the Diet Madison Avenue posts were a big part of that, at the very least a catalyst for then the advertising agency started looking into it, you know, and men were fired. Um, And then, unfortunately, what happened um, 
was Diet Medicine Avenue was sued. Um, and they went dark and they've been dark for quite some time. Um, <clears throat> but what that tells me, you know, what I think about is like, there just aren't enough um, avenues, no pun intended, but not enough avenues for people to actually tell their stories. Not enough opportunities for people to um, be honest and direct about their experiences. You know, I think that's why Diet Madison Avenue was such a popular Instagram account. Um, be, and and we've, we saw it ourselves, you know, that people finally get the opportunity to tell their stories and it just explodes. There's so much pent up frustration. Um, there just aren't enough mechanisms for people to be able to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing that was really surprising for us was just the amount of non-HR people that reached out to us, right? Saying like, how can you help me? What advice can you give me? Like if HR isn't in a position in my uh, in my firm to do something, where do I go? What do I do? What options do I have? And equal to that, we we also had um, an equal number of HR reaching out saying like, I I am completely stuck. Like I am at the mercy of my reporting line or I'm at the mercy of, you know, the person above me, but I don't agree with it. You know, I have this moral conflict and I don't agree with it. And so again, that was another kind of thing that continued to drive this movement forward um, and now uh, become what it is today is like, it needs to change. Yeah, yeah. I know for me too, since there's obviously there was a long point in time where I was both doing HR Uprise and, um, you know, my day job as an HR person. Um, and especially in those moments, but even now as we're doing, you know, work consulting, we're working with companies. Um, I feel like it has been such a great mirror for myself <laughs> to, um, I've thought multiple times. Okay, so I talk about all of these things, you know, HR uprise, whether it's through social media, through talks or whatever, you know, there are lots of lots of avenues now <laughs> to be able to talk about those things. But when having to make decisions or when I'm consulting with organizations about the best approach to take, what should we do with this? Um, what we're talking about with HR uprise has been such a good um, way of keeping me honest too. Like I'm saying all of these things and there's a huge accountability to it too, which um, I have really appreciated and it's not something I necessarily expected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I'm like in the thick of it still, right? Like being a practitioner for a um, for a design firm that is owned by a very large uh, organization that we got acquired by, um, I'm kind of in the thick of it. So fighting the fight, but then also realizing like what the constraints that I still have. So I love that you said that because it's true. It's it's a, it's a bit of a you know how do you stay true to who you are while still working within the framework and um, that accountability piece is is absolutely key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, when you think about, um, you know, starting HR Prize, what do you want people to know? I think a couple things come to mind. I think that people aren't alone um, and that they have options, right? So you're not alone in terms of if you're an employee and you feel like you don't have anywhere to go, um, HR Prize can help give you that counsel and that guidance 
that is objective outside of your organization. Um, and if you are HR, you're not alone as well. Your only option is not just to stay and continue with the status quo. You can find something else, whether it is on the HR Uprise platform or if it's working for an organization that is more aligned with your values and not choosing to be part of the status quo, that you have options. Uh, that's really what I want people to take away and, and really leverage the resources, right? There's a ton of resources out there. There's incredible minds. Um, there's incredible research done and to leverage it. You're not alone. You've got a community to help you. You're stronger, better together. I love that. When you, you talk about um, still being in the thick of it and being both an employee and an HR practitioner at the same time, um, you know, in our previous episodes, people have talked about, some of our HR professionals have talked about, like, people forget that, like, we're employees too. You know, <laughs> we we struggle with the same things. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a really great segue to talking about your experience as an employee as well. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your journey and um, more recently, what a diagnosis has meant for you within the workplace. Yeah. First off, thank you for letting me share my story because uh, this is new for me. I, I, I quote Brene Brown often, but uh, something that she had mentioned after she did her first TED Talk, she didn't think it would go big, is she came home and she said she had a vulnerability hangover. Yes. Uh, I texted you last night and I'm like, I feel like this is my coming out. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm so excited. Yes. Um, but I have not shared with many people that I have a non-neurotypical brain. And so for me, what that diagnosis looks like is ADHD. And it was a diagnosis that I received as an adult um, female. And really, I dug deep in 2020 around... So I got the diagnosis probably around six years ago and haven't done much with it, right? It was like, okay, this explains a lot and, and I'm moving on. Um, but 2020 was really a year of pause for many of us. But for me, it was a, a, a huge introspective look at to what does that mean um, for me? Um, what does that mean for others who maybe aren't diagnosed that are diagnosed? What is the stigma around it? How does it show up differently? And what can we do as employers uh, to assist our employees with with people who are neurodivergent? There's a lot of terms you'll see thrown around. Um, So as an employee, we can go in many different routes here, but 2020 was really the point where I just did a lot of self-exploration about how does it it show up for me? Um, And what, what do I actually need from my workplace? to help me um, with, for lack of a better word, accommodations. I didn't even know what to ask for, right? Um, And it wasn't until I learned more about my personal um, diagnosis and the ways that uh, it showed up at work, how it showed up differently in my personal relationships, how it showed up differently in my parenting, that I was able to really articulate what it is that I needed. Amazing. Do you mind, could you talk a little bit about even what led to, because it's pretty unique, I think, um, I would assume to be diagnosed in adulthood. Um, But what was it that even led up to that for you, seeing things happen in your life? Like, could you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, 
So interestingly enough, for women, it is more common to be diagnosed as an adult than it is as a child. And the reason for that is uh, with with men or boys, they tend to show ADHD symptoms uh, more externally, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be that they have more energy, that they're more impulsive, that maybe there is anger associated with it, lack of attention, where for females, and this doesn't just go for ADHD, it goes for a whole range of other systematic issues. Um, we internalize it and we think, okay, how can we fix this? How do we show up differently? And so it's often masks in terms of how it shows up for women. And we, it shows up for us in terms of like lack of self-esteem. Um, you know, we internalize of like, why do I have to work so much harder that it looks so easy for someone else? Um, not knowing that our brain is actually different. Like the true brain chemistry is different. Um, but without understanding that, we are just going down this path of like, okay, I'm different. I have to work harder. I have to hide it. So low self-esteem is often common um, with women who are diagnosed with ADHD, uh, depression, uh, eating disorders. I mean, we could we could go the gamut um, because of the internalization of that. So being diagnosed as an adult for women is actually most common. And for me, uh, what led up to it was as I had gotten a new role and uh, I things that I just were like, okay, it's normal that I forget people's birthdays. Uh, it's normal that I, uh, they call it object permanence, right? Um, I need a new pair of black yoga pants. Actually, I have 25, but because they're not hanging up in front of me, I forget they're there, right? Uh, those types of things. So all of those things start to kind of compound when you're in a role that is requiring more of you. So yeah, I seeked out a diagnosis. Um, and that was actually quite hard to do to find someone who was willing to uh, talk to a, a woman um, at my age and diagnose. We'll be right back. Around here, it's no secret that most employees don't trust HR. And many times it's for good reason. At the end of the day, HR works for your boss, not necessarily for you. So where do you go when you have a sensitive workplace concern that could jeopardize your job? Maybe you're trying to decide when to disclose a pregnancy or how to handle a harassment situation. Maybe you're gearing up to ask for a raise or need advice on dealing with a difficult manager. HR Uprise coaches are here to help. We bring years of HR experience to the table and can advise you with insider knowledge of how companies really work. We're ready to spill all our secrets to help you find the best way forward. It's confidential, honest, affordable HR that works for you book a single session, or a goal-based package. You can browse coaches by expertise and even identity and lived experience. Book your session and video chat with your coach all inside the app. Browse coaches today for free at hruprise.com. So to, to kind of back it up a little to give people kind of some common common vocabulary. So, so neurodiverse can be... So neurodiverse is kind of like this... This idea that it's uh, normal and acceptable for people to have brains that function differently when we talk about neurodiversity. Um, being neurotypical just means that it's a descriptor for people that uh, have kind of the, the, the general brain functions and processing that are standard or typical. 
So neurodivergent is another term for it. It's just the term for people whose brains function differently. And that could be ADHD, it could be dyslexia, it could be, um, these are the three common ones. It could also be autism. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how it shows up for work, and interestingly enough for me, as as I'm learning about this is, you tend to build your life around the places in which you uh, find strengths and to eliminate the places that are harder for you, which which I'm learning. So for me at work, how it shows up is uh, I'm incredibly curious. I can uh, take on a ton more, like the amount of information that I can consume is vast. Uh, people often see of it as lack of attention, But what it actually means is I pay attention to everything, right? Which could be an issue, right? Because it's not just like, I'm listening to you, Rebecca, talking. I'm like, I'm looking at the clothes in your background. I'm looking at the microphone. I'm looking at the light. I'm looking at the mirror. Like I'm seeing all of that. So showing up at work, it's how do you, that's kind of how it shows up for work for me. And then in terms of, um, I also am always thinking big, like big picture, big picture, uh, where a lot of the times you got to kind of lower the altitude and say, okay, but we have an immediate problem here. Um, So for me, it's always like thinking big, but how do we go down to actually solve the immediate problem? Those are the things that show up the most for me at work. I hope that there's a day that we no longer have terms like neurotypical and that we just appreciate that there are just many different ways of the brain functioning. Um, I mean, that goes for so much, right? Um, For so many things in our society. Um, And I was really struck by, especially as you're talking about, you know, how you come to even understand or get a a diagnosis that would help you really, because I I guess maybe I'll ask this question. Um, What does a diagnosis do for you? Was that important for you? Um, you know, and and what did that do for you? I talk a lot about this actually with uh, my partners and other people who I have relationships with in, in in my life. And I'll say it's changed for me what a diagnosis has meant. Um, I will say maybe five or six years ago, a diagnosis was um, almost like a, a validation. Um, I might even go as far to say an excuse, right? Like, okay, I can excuse this away because my brain works differently. And now my mind has shifted to, okay, how do I leverage this? One of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou is, when you know better, do better. So now that I have this information, what can I do to with this to evolve as a person? It doesn't mean that uh, there isn't plenty of superpowers that go along with it, but how do I use this uh, to grow and evolve as a human. So it went from like, okay, great. I feel validated as an excuse to now, how do I work on it? Like, what can I do to actually use this as a superpower? Are there misconceptions that people have about ADHD or, you know, especially in the workplace? Yeah, 100%. I, and that goes back to something as simple as like, you know, me struggling to even say, should I sign up for this podcast and kind of come out because there is so much stigma around, oh, if you have ADHD, you must not be organized. You must not be able to do this. You must not be able to do this. There's still a ton of misconceptions around what it means to have a diagnosis, which is why it's not so talked about. 
Um, so yes, there are uh, a lot that we are up against, and which is why I haven't chosen to share to date uh, the, the diagnosis and why so many people choose to not share their diagnosis or ask for accommodations of their employers because they're concerned about the repercussions and the judgment that comes along with what those words mean. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, you were talking before about how <clears throat> women are diagnosed. Um, it's more common for women to be diagnosed later in life. And I think so much of that is because of society's expectations on us, right? It's the um, expectation that you will do all the things. You will be, you know, the working mom, the perfect at home, the Pinterest. Never mind, you have to have a perfect body as well and be doing the workout things, but your children also should not. Um, you know, have a meltdown in public and like like just all the things, all the expectations that we heap on women in particular, as I can see, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense that, you know, that that would all come into play um, and would also play into the reasons why you wouldn't speak up. The idea that I will somehow be seen as less than because there are all these expectations at work as well, right, around... Um, functioning. And, you know, we know research will tell us that women um, and people of color, especially women of color, um, have this particularly bad. Um, And, you know, just the how much um, has to be delivered, you know, how women and especially women of color are judged upon what they've delivered rather than their potential, which is more likely for men. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. I I completely agree with that. I, I think um, one or the other, and I think this is worth noting because it's it's something that I'm advocating for for those women who get diagnosed later in life. But one of the things that often manifests with women as adults with ADHD is the lack of self-compassion. Um, I think that's across the board, but it's very much so um, for us. There is a we'll talk about superpowers here in a minute and how I came to explore what those superpowers can be. But one of the most common ways that it manifests itself is the lack of self-compassion. You're able to give it away freely to everywhere else, but to have that for you uh, is incredibly hard. Uh, And so that's worth calling out because there is ways that you can find self-compassion for yourself, but it is a lot of the ways in which it manifests for women. You talked about how the pandemic, you know, gave you this opportunity to really deeply reflect. And I would say for myself and both, again, as you well know, both having gone through cancer during the pandemic, I can't separate either those experiences from each other. But that whole experience for me, I would say, I think the most important lesson I have taken from that whole experience has been not just self-compassion for me, but I I mean, it's the same idea, but I refer to it as self-love, right? Self-acceptance has been so critically important, so critically important. And it's such a simple but radical question that I ask myself frequently, which is, well, what if it just was okay? Like, what if it was all fine? And I realized like how many times throughout the day I would ask my que- myself a question of like, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I haven't reached this milestone yet. I haven't reached that milestone. I'm building a business. I haven't, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And um, I find myself now just saying like, what if, what if it was all fine? What if everything is fine? And what if you're exactly where you should be? What if you're doing exactly what you should be doing? Love that. It's so true. It must have just, for you, it take a completely life-changing event to get there. Um, but what a gift that you have that now. And you yeah. have that type of peace in your life to say that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a way, I guess, of of turning it into my superpower. But what is your, how have you, how have you, I know that you have done this as well. How have you turned ADHD into your superpower? Yeah. So for me, um, let me back it up a second. At the start of 2020, um, I gave birth to Esther. And so I was home for three months and I went down the TikTok rabbit hole. Uh, I don't know if you guys are on TikTok, but I went down the TikTok rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> so I'm home with a new baby. It's dark. The pandemic's happening. Going down the TikTok rabbit hole. But I came across um, this this doctor. Her name is uh, Dr. Sasha Hambini. And she's just an absolute badass. Just so influential, so powerful, so smart. Um, and she has ADHD, but she's a doctor. And I started to see, follow her and her stories about like what it was like to go to medical school with ADHD, um, how she was judged, how she had to work harder and how that drove her to now incorporate that into her practice and to speak out. And that was uh, a huge takeaway for me. So she was really a catalyst for me to kind of go down this like, okay, she found her superpower and she's very proud of, of what it means for her. So I did. So I did a couple of things, um, and and many employers have this available to you. But I am a huge proponent of therapy. I think your mental health is just as important, if not more, than your physical health. So I will, uh, I will scream from the rooftops that everybody should do therapy, and it, there is no stigma around it. Like take care of your mind, right? So I found a therapist who actually had ADHD themselves. Um, so not only can they relate, but they were also able to uh, help me identify the places in which it was my superpower. Um, and there was all these other exercises that, that, that went along with it. And there's a ton of resources out there. Well, there's ADHD coaches um, that really your employer could pay for. There's some really good accounts that if you don't mind, I can share with you after and maybe you can, you can pass it along. But there's really good resources out there about um, kind of self-work you could do at home that help you identify what your superpowers are. And that was incredibly empowering to me because it's kind of all the things that you know and you're like, yeah, this makes a ton of sense. Um, but everybody should find their superpower, regardless of a diagnosis or not. You should be able to know like you are you're on this planet for a reason. You are you are made unique for a reason. How do you find what you're good at uh, and be in your flow? So I think for 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 me, if you don't mind me sharing, I can I can tell you some of the things that I found uh, were my superpower. Yeah. But um, I think there's there's a couple things that show up, but but specifically in in, in leadership and individuals. Um, I think you know this about me, Rebecca, but I'm a, a huge empath. So that actually is part of being. Um, you don't have to be have an ADHD 
diagnosis to be empathetic, but it does allow you to feel differently because you have a level of curiosity about others um, that allow you to be more open to it. So being empathetic, being curious, um, being creative, having uh, a lot of problem solving abilities because you can just take in so much more information um, and kind of make sense of it quicker. Um, there's from a leadership perspective, I think that, you know, you're, you might be more willing to say things that aren't, uh, that others might be afraid to say. Um, there's also, again, that ability to problem solve, to think big picture, right? That's a huge thing for, for leaders is that, uh, your brain is always going to like, what's next, what's bigger, what can we do differently? You know, how do you make it more efficient? And that is a huge superpower. But I think the one that I am most proud of is just the uh, the empathy that I can share with others and learning to do that for myself. Yeah, yes. Well, I can personally attest to that. You are most definitely one of the most empathetic people I've ever known. And it is totally a superpower. Um, I love what you're sharing, you know, and these, um, these ways that people can discover their own. Um <clears throat> Um, so what do you want employees and employers to know about neurodiversity? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for me, I would encourage employees to go on their own route of self-discovery of, because it's not, ADHD doesn't look the same for everyone or any, any neurodivergent, um, diagnosis does not look the same for everyone. So whatever that is, uh, find experts that, are familiar with your uh, diagnosis. For example, um, the doctors that I see and the therapists that I see um, have ADHD or they have a partner who's ADHD or a child who's ADHD. So the relation is there um, and the understanding is there. And get really curious. Get really curious about seeking help, asking questions. You don't have to do it alone. Uh, talk to a therapist, talk to your primary care, um, find out exactly how it manifests for you. And then those places in which you want it to show up differently, we can help you do that, right? Like your, your therapist and your doctors can help you show up differently. There's there's kind of the medicinal route, but then there's also a ton of different places in which uh, are more holistic, right? Mindfulness. I know everyone says, oh, mindfulness 100% works. You have to sit still. We don't sit still. So sitting still is an incredible practice for your brain. Um, so advocate for yourself. Find out exactly. Get really clear on what it is of how it shows up for you. That way you can be more clear about what it is that you need from your employer. And then from an employer perspective, I would say educate yourself on what uh, being neurodivergent is. Because I guarantee you, there is a large part of your population that is neurodivergent that you don't know about. Um, and that will only continue to grow as the world and the world of work changes. And we start to uh, hire remotely and we now aren't in person as much. Uh, this is one of the only times in history where all of the world has taken a collective pause. And employers should really be looking at how do you show up differently for your employees? So many products are so much more accessible. And I would say, get curious about that, right? Like uh, for me, I'm an auditory and a visual learner. So if you know that about yourself, okay. As, a, as an employee, you can say, I need to see it and I need to hear it. And that's how I can absorb the information. Um, but as an employer, I would say, 
it makes the most sense for you to do both of those things just in general as a good common practice. Um, in your physical setup, if and when you do go back to a physical workspace, do you have places that... Uh, there was a revolution where it was a large open workspace, right? I think we all now know that that's probably not the most effective. Not, um, yes. <laughs> so how do you find, how do you create those spaces where there's quiet places, um, where the lights aren't as loud, where there's not that much distraction um, and you give the space for your employees to do so. But really I would say start with education Um Come from an open mindset, um, lack, take your judgment out of it, any preconceived notions that you have out of it, um, and get curious about what it is that you know you can do differently. And also, I think some of the things that that we've been doing is just do some pulse checks with your employees. Like now's the time. We're setting up offices differently. What do you want to see differently? And what we're seeing is like, I want some more private quiet spaces. I don't like the open office setup. It's too distracting. Yeah. Um, so it could be something as simple as that. Yeah, I love that. I, I've also um, worked with a lot of consultants who recommend things like, you know, I mean, look at every practice, your interview process, um, you know, give the questions ahead of time, you know, if that is helpful for people to prepare ahead of time. Um, you know, an interview should never be a gotcha. It should be, right? It should be a process of getting to know that person um, and determining whether, you know, they'll be able to add value to your organization or your team or what have you. Um, so I, I really think, yeah, I love I love the really tangible um, things that you've shared for employers to be thinking about. Um, we really do need to blow up the entire thing. I mean, so I named this podcast Problem Performers <laughs> because I want us to really start to break down that term. Um, you know, it's a very common term, um, especially in the HR world. And I want us to be asking the questions like, is this person really a problem performer or have we just not set up the system to allow them to be there, bring their best self to work? You know, have we just set up a system that has expectations with, you know, one channel in mind, um, and yet they just think very differently? 100%. It's now is the time, like you said, to blow everything up. Is it just that they're not fitting into the status quo or the norm? Mm -hmm. But if you were to change the conditions, they could actually be one of the most successful people at your organization. Well, what do you want to leave people with? Um, you know, do you have advice for employees advocating for themselves um, in the workplace? What would you recommend? I do. I would say, um, I would say first and foremost, you know, get get familiar with what exactly it is that you need. Because when I went down that route, it was different than what I thought it was. Um, surround yourself with people that, and this is this goes for anyone, but specifically for um, any of the neurodivergent, but surround yourself with people who will flank those places in which you need help, right? So um, how do you do that? How do you get a team around you that, that, that helps to support those places in which you need help? Um, that was the advice that I have gotten over this last year, and it has helped me tremendously. And um, I would say that it is not weakness. It is actually a sign of strength asking for help. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, Nicolette, I can't thank you enough for coming and sharing your story, um, sharing your advice for employees and employers. Um, this has just been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you online? 
Yes. Um, <laughs> you can find me at LinkedIn, just Nicolette Hawking. Uh, you can also reach me at my email address. So it's nicolette.hawking at designit.com. Feel free to reach out. I love talking about this topic. Uh, my goal is to completely get rid of the stigma around it and get people to see that it is actually a strength to have these type of people on your team. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you, Rebecca. It was good to see your face and you good too. to hear your voice. Feels like old time. It does. Problem Performers is a production of HR Uprise Media, part of an organization built around a single question. What if you could have HR that works for you rather than your boss? Well, now you can with your own HR Uprise coach. Get affordable, confidential advice from an experienced HR pro who works only for you. And hey, employers, we've got you covered too. HR Uprise provides independent investigations, harassment prevention training, private employee coaching, and much more. Email us at hello at hruprise.com or visit our page at hruprise.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.